Good evening, patriots. And it's the end of Tuesday, March 28th in the year 2023. And for those on the East Coast, you're now in the morning of Wednesday. So hopefully you'll get a good night's rest. Patriots, we're in a critical time right now. A lot going on. And we're dealing with a cabal that's literally out of control, has no respect for any sort of approval by the people, and is just moving forward at its own wanton and will. And that's something that we're going to have to confront one way or another, because they think that they have everybody on the go and under their thumb, and that's just not the way of things. With that, we also have to be very conscious of the sorts of pressures that they're putting on everybody, which will include food. So make sure you keep your food supplies up and you have emergency food basis in the event of shortage. Patriots, anyone who thinks they won't need emergency food isn't paying attention. Every day, the headlines get worse and worse. Is the unthinkable next? It pays to prepare. That's why I seriously recommend you stock up on emergency food right now. You never know when the next shoe will drop, and when it does, emergency food will be hard to find. So get yours now while it's on sale. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and check out their popular three-month emergency food kit. Right now, you'll save $200 per kit. Each kit gives you a wide variety of delicious breakfasts, lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks providing over 2,000 calories a day for optimum strength and energy. Act now and claim your $200 savings per kit. You'll sleep better knowing your family won't suffer if the worst ever happens. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and you'll enjoy free shipping too. MyPatriotSupply.com. Patriots, no time to waste. Sovereignty begins with food security. Check it out. MyPatriotSupply.com. All right, Patriots, so... Tonight, I want to focus a bit on our way of living, which centers itself in what I consider to be the most important document in our nation, which is the Declaration of Independence. There's been a great deal of effort made over time to separate the Declaration of Independence from the Constitution. And when you do that, the Constitution simply becomes a document of structure of a government which is then where you get things like a living document, meaning that it can be changed and it can be modified. There's a separation of about 11 years between the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. And you will find that that is never discussed, but there's this little thing called a revolution that occurred in between those two points, which gave us ultimately was supposed to give us the freedom from England. Now, unfortunately, that's not really the way it worked out. And a lot of that began with John Jay, who was our first Supreme Court justice, who after the Revolutionary War negotiated a treaty with England, which basically gave them preferential trading rights. And a lot of that happened because the United States didn't have the money to pay off the debt that it had incurred. Furthermore, we guaranteed in that treaty with John Jay that we would pay back England for the costs of the war, their costs of the war against us. 
And that can be looked at in a couple of ways. But I think that the most accurate way of looking at this is the fact that our founding fathers were actually very noble men. And they didn't put the debt on the people. They put the responsibility of the debt on themselves. And that speaks to a great deal of morality and ethics that is very often overshadowed by this constant pounding of the image of them being Masons. Myself and others will rebuke that issue of Masons as our founding fathers, as it, as it is understood today. The churches were so divided by their different congregations, just like we are today. You can't get church people in the same room without somebody trying to tell you that they have a better church or a better brand. And what that created was an impossibility for them to get together and to be able to discuss affairs. So our founding fathers actually became Masons because it was a common place. But once they became aware of what the European Masonic order was trying to do, most of them left the order. However, as that type of secret society does, and once it was achieving power, it has effectively written into our histories and to the most people's conscience, especially modern-day patriots, which is really sad, that they were Masons. So as people learn more about the Masonic order and its secret dealings, it has worked as a negative on our founding fathers because of their association with Masons. I say this just as a side note, but it's worthy worthy of note. My grandfather was part of the Shriners and very active, a very low-level Shriner, loved doing it because it was about helping children. I will guarantee you, if he understood what was happening at the 33rd degree order today, he'd lose his cookies. And that's being nice. So much of these orders have been put in place as what I would call a dead man switch. And sadly, there's a lot of these in the time that we have. Dead man switches, if you don't know, is imagine holding a switch where your thumb is pressing down on it. But when, if you lift your thumb, the circuit is completed and the detonation goes off. Dead man switches are also used in terms of like a digital vault, that if something happens to somebody, this digital vault is released, the the code of it is released, and all the information within it is released to the world. That was the WikiLeaks threat. So what they have managed to do over many years is to weave in varieties of dead man switches. And they've done that through blackmail, through coercion, through the sell-off of people's souls to the power of money. And that has been a serious agenda of these people to target those in Christian faith, in particular influential leaders, to the point where government, we know the DHS has worked with many leaders around the world, around this country, Christian leaders, to try to co-opt them into pushing certain agendas in times of crises. We saw it happen in the COVID con where pastors took the position from the pulpit to try to tell you that Jesus would take the shot. There's a whole variety of things here that are happening. And in the process of this, we're just becoming more and more divided. 
this nation is not going to survive in division. And right now, these psychopaths are running fast and furious because the unity of the people is so broken that there's nobody standing up to protect them or to stop them, excuse me, stop them and to protect the people. Worse is that there are factions that are so inoculated with the ideologies of hate, climate change, we're going to die in five years, these sort of nonsensical things that are absolutely just pulling out of their backside, that they're in a frenzy. And that's happened through a mass overdose of hyper-propaganda that has turned people into, basically destroyed people's minds. We're dealing with a perception across this world of people, I shouldn't even say perception, we're dealing with a reality that there are people that are truly mentally broken at this point in time. And to heal them is going to be a process of faith and relationship in Christ. But they, we are at a point where the concept of, of insanity is actually mainstream to such a degree that it has become normal to witness. With that comes a whole measure of demonic activity that has continued to infiltrate and infect this country and at every level. I was talking to a special forces buddy of mine tonight, and it was just surprising to me to have him actually reference the fact that he is seeing demonic activity in leadership. And I don't deny that he is. And he's seeing it because it's manifesting in this hatred and this sudden explosion of division and finger pointing and, and rupture. And so much of that is happening because we don't have a center point in a strong faith. We are told to be fearless, fearless. And that means that no matter what we're looking at in terms of a a threat, we should be fearless to move forward and fearless to trust in Christ to protect us and protect the ones we love. There was a video I saw today, and it, it was just amazing in the sense that there's a woman that begins to walk across a crosswalk, and this is from a high-mounted street cam, and there's a car that is coming from her right and another vehicle that is coming, it's an, it, she's starting to step into the street. So there's one coming from her right and there's one coming from her left. And the two cars collide. And the one car that was coming from her right bounces off the car coming from her left and shoots directly at her. And as she steps into the crosswalk, it misses her and all the shrapnel of this colliding vehicles misses her by literally inches and slides right by her. And the other vehicle goes right by her and she walks right, essentially right between the two. And the most amazing thing is she doesn't even stop. She just keeps walking. And the title of the thing was what it's like to walk with Christ. That's it because we're protected. So when we look at the state that we're in in the nation and we each have to reflect deeply on our own station in this world, 
Fearlessness is part of the requirement of walking closely with God and walking closely in Christ. Fearlessness. And that means that no matter what they put at you, we have to walk fearlessly at it. Easier said than done, because there's a lot of unknowns in our world, and we have a wonderful way, thanks to a massive propaganda machine, of trying to embed ourselves into this concepts of delusional fear. And we do a great job of imagining things thanks to a fantastic propaganda machine of all the horrible things that can happen to us. We have horror films around. There's hardly a, a some sort of serious serial on TV that it isn't about killing one another. Maybe it's the police shooting somebody. Maybe, and it always ends up being somehow it's justified in a heroic sense that we're going to be killing each other and torturing each other. If you ever watched 24 with Jack Bauer, there's a great example. It's like every show somebody's getting tortured and somehow it's always glorious that when the good guys torture the other guys. I mean, we, we've inoculated ourselves with such measures of distrust, with hatred, with fear, with the concepts of consequence that always end up in violence. And this is what they're leveraging right now. And it's everything but what God told us to be. We've talked a lot about a lot about the loving and forgiving heart. And I know that that always gets pushback from some. And yet at the core of a loving and forgiving heart is an unbelievable level of power. It's a power that we don't even know because we always struggle just to get to that point of not being laden and burdened with the anger, the vengeance. And of course, when we talk about power, this is going to start talking about things that sound almost like the supernatural. And we know how that goes over well in the church because the church of today isn't supposed to be believe in the supernatural. The church of today is supposed to be believe in the doctrinal. And the supernatural is just left for the books. I don't buy that. And I think you know that. I believe that when we are truly tight and walking with Christ, as he said, you will do greater works than me. And there's truth to those words because they're red letter language. To say otherwise is to suggest that he was speaking a lie. Then, of course, that couldn't be, could it? But what does it take to get to that place? In the first place is we have to relinquish our fears and we have to lean into Father, and we have to be bold in this world, and we have to start walking in that truth. I'm not saying anybody isn't or is. This is just a general statement. The other part about this is in the terms of repentance, as we repent, we also now have are held accountable for allowing certain sins to continue. So we typically take repentance as a personal issue, which it is, But when we're repenting for bigger things, like we're talking about repenting as a nation, we then have a responsibility to confront evil and to stop it in its tracks. One of the things about this fight that we're in is that we have succumbed to legislative type rules. You're going to hear discussions about admiralty law and the maritime law, and all of these things. But here's a fundamental truth. 
When we go to the Declaration of Independence, there's only one law, and it's God's law. So a lot of this discussion about who owns us, how this operates, what we have to do, etc., is only happening because we are by our free will obeying their rules and not defying. And at the same time, we are denouncing or denying the authorities that God gave us in this country, not even to mention the biblical issue of this. We have, we have dominion over evil. We've been told that we can crush snakes and scorpions. And we have been given dominion over all the actions of evil. And then we come to this country and we start to see how grounded it was in Scripture as we understand that the Declaration of Independence, the founding document of this nation, established a framework of moral law, which then shapes everything going forward. So to quote Chris Ann Hall, as she was on about a week or 10 days ago, the Constitution cannot die because it's not it's an inanimate object. The only reason the Constitution ceases to function is because we cease to understand it and to use it. And that extends very clearly to the Declaration of Independence as well. So let me read the first paragraph. In Congress, July 4th, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, when in this course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and the nature's gods, or nature's God, singular, entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to separation. Now, these are noble men. And these are noble men that understand that they have to make a break now with England. And so much of the story that we're shaped here in this country is that somehow the war was kind of on the battlefields. But what we don't talk a lot about is the difficulties the colonies were, colonists were facing. Keep in mind that these were British citizens to a large degree at the time. And yet the crown had extended its military into the colonies and were doing things like torturing people, arresting people without charge, forcing colonists to house soldiers in their house, raping British soldiers, raping young girls, or forcing them to have sex with them in whatever form you want to take against the parents' wishes and without the parents' ability to do anything because the British used their force. The British soldiers were would burn homes down. They'd pull out military justice in, in impromptu because they chose to, and it was always on the side and always in favor of the British military. There was no real justice here. And yet, we have to remember that, that they were doing that to their own. These colonists weren't rogue. They had come to the colonies as British citizens, and they were part of the colonies to settle this new land, and yet England saw it within themselves necessary to torture, maim, kill, rape, etc. Why I bring that up, that is at the nature of the government then in England, and is it the nature of our government now? The two are one and the same. And so it's not by accident that we, as we begin to understand the bigger picture, that the Bank of the Bank of London 
is a critical funder of all options and all operations in the corporate city of D.C. In the end, it took the colonists to stand up. But what was the power behind that standing up that did that, that gave them the strength? Because it wasn't just them randomly. What the power ultimately was, was the pulpit. The pulpit spent well over 50 years speaking of tyranny, talking about the requirements to stand up and actually draw a red line. And those pastors of the time understood very clearly that there was a line that we could not cross, meaning that there was a line that no matter what happened, we were going to lose our faith and lose everything and our rights and lose what we were expected to do by God. Unfortunately, where we've arrived in this modern day is there's been so much emphasis on the New Testament, which is really kind of a disservice in breaking the two books this way. And there is a perspective that somehow everything has become love and hugs. Christ was a warrior of a mighty kind. And the emphasis on him being just purely loving is missing the point that he was courageous and bold. And at the end was such a bold warrior that he, he went through the most atrocious tortures all the way to the moment of his death. We have to get to a mindset of what's required of us. And that's not easy. It means that each one of us has a weight to carry. And as we work to build up one another, we each have a load to carry ourselves to get ourselves strong on our feet. When you're working in a military unit, when you work in an elite unit, performance standards are extraordinarily high. And so anybody that's less than the performance standards is let go, not because they're not good, but because the elite units run at such a high level of op tempo that they don't have any room for anybody being any less than great. In the main body army, you're going to find a lot more variable in talent and skills. And so on squads and on platoons, you'll find that they ultimately become, what ends up happening is it's the slowest man that sets the pace for the unit. And if they're too slow, then they'll be cycled to another position. Maybe they'll go back and be in the rear echelon. They might go into support positions. They might go into clerical. But the point is that the slowest man sets the pace for the entire unit. And I guess I have to say women. I mean, in fairness, it's men or women because now everything's integrated. In this point in time, in a collective fellowship that we're building here, it's going to be very similar. And you've heard me talk quite a bit in the last few days about really building out the fellowship and raising each other up. And I, I'm holding to that as a very important thing that we all need to strive to do more of. But with that, each person has a responsibility to be able and active. The times are changing quickly. We aren't dealing with a group of people that care about what you feel. They don't care whether you voted them in. They're now being co-opted by forces greater than we can imagine, forces that own their soul, quite literally, and they're willing to do anything. So 
we have to be willing to hold the line. And that means we also have to start articulating what it is that our grievances are that force us to declare a separation from this government, just as our founding fathers did. The second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Famous line, critical to understand everything that goes forward. Words aren't wasted. This isn't going to be long and lengthy explanations for everything. Every word is strategically placed. All men are created equal. It's a phenomenal concept. And what that is saying is that the people have the power of governance in their hand and they receive their power. They are endowed by their creator. They receive their power from God with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Among these, not all, but among these. That means that everything that follows therefore is now blessed by God. And in the biggest, what I refer to as the biggest middle finger or biggest troll probably in the history of humankind, and I mean this, our founding fathers knew very well what they wrote there when they said that the creator was giving us our rights. It wasn't a king of men form. It wasn't a queen of human form. It was God. And that responsibility in the years that have passed seems to have dwindled to where we fail to understand the magnitude of what this country was blessed with. As Christ was sacrificed on the cross to give us eternal life, we are given a country that was quite literally turned over and blessed through the fact that all rights given to us here were declared to be of the Creator, of God Himself. Now we have to take a step back and look at where we are. We have to look at these coercive threats of, say, the deep state or coercive threats of the IRS or the coercive threats of some two-bit puppet politician. And those same coercive threats or fear porn or whatever they're using that we're complying with. I don't see anywhere in there that it has anything to do with the rights that are endowed by the Creator. And yet, the twists and turns of emotion and guilt go on and on. We must all work together. We're all in this together, all this nonsense. And if you don't follow their groupthink, you're ostracized. If you don't believe that it's right for a young child to be able to choose to snip off his weenie, then you're suddenly on the outside of this insanity, and you are a heretic. We know that's all lies. And part of the reason we've arrived here is we have given the the fools in the audience the right to speak and to command presence and take over the conversation. The lunatics literally are running the asylum. But the point of that last statement is critical because the way that we've allowed it to be, we are all now living in the asylum and we shouldn't be. God gave us our rights. Nobody can take them from us unless we either give them away or God pulls them away. Because it continues that to secure these rights, 
Governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. We are the governed. And their powers are given to them by us, and we are subordinate to Father God. It's that simple. So in all of this discussions of things of maritime law and and admiralty law and all this other garbage about the ownership of your of your body through the birth certificate and etc cetera, etc cetera. none of it applies it has any power unless we give it that and the thing is that we have the numbers they cannot control what they can't control. And yet we give them that right to control us regularly. It's amazing. But nowhere in this does it say that we're, we are subordinate to them, and yet we have allowed that to happen. And so much of that allowance has happened because as we move along, because we want to use something. Take an example. This new TikTok ban that's coming that's tied to this new draconian measure, which basically is going to control all the internet and take it away from people. And if you violate it, you're going to go to jail. And so you hear a screaming and a bellowing saying, that's a violation of First Amendment. You can't do that. I agree. Except here's the problem. Every one of us has signed a user agreement in using this software, in using this internet, in using that computer. And when they pull all those together, it's corporate rights that we have given them that supersede our First Amendment rights because we signed our life away. So they can make the argument that they can take it all away. Okay. And we can take the argument that we'll defy. And that's ultimately where all this comes down to. They're leveraging what we have given them and they're growing on those powers when at the core of things, if we're going to reset, and we must, our way, not theirs, we have to go back to the center point of where all this begins. Not only is it biblical, but it's also transacted through the Declaration of Independence as fundamental in being American. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light or transient causes. In other words, don't be a protesting fool and an Antifa turd and try to overthrow the government simply because you don't like the way somebody looks at you. I mean, that's that's a little uprising there that's juvenile and has no substance. Accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind is more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. Think of the amount of things that we have endured through this government through the last, your lifetime. How about that? 
And increasingly, if you look back, you find that the government hasn't become better unless you're a progressive leftist and you want government to be more, become overbearing and you want to suppress anybody that challenges your way of thinking. What we have witnessed is a government that is becoming increasingly despotic and yet we've done nothing. It's taken us until the last three years to really activate that soul and spirit of the fighting nature of Americans, to reawaken the true patriot. Remember I mentioned John Jay. When he signed that treaty with the British, it didn't take long for people to figure it out. In fact, he wrote later that he was so reviled by the people that he could travel from New Jersey to New York in the dead of night, and it would all be lit by the effigies that were being burned of him. Now, when I read that, I, I, when I've read that, I've come, I think a couple of things that are very prominent. One, I, am in, I admire the political awakeness that was there with the colonists. I'm impressed with their literacy and their knowledge, which we're told somehow wasn't that literate, which is complete garbage. They were reading these documents. They were understanding in a time when we're told that print was rare and it was hard for people to communicate. Well, apparently it worked pretty well. And how did that happen? Information was posted in public squares with broadsheets. Printers would put together stories and print them in these large, basically three by four, two by four type sheets. They would be posted on the walls and the men and women would read them. And that would be the updates on the news. They were, they were talking to one another. They were meeting in one another, small groups, having engagements. They were communicating face to face. They didn't need social media. They didn't have AI corrupting anything. They just had words and print and the knowledge that they carried in their heart and their faith in God. And what else did they have? A powerful and mighty pulpit that spoke the truth. So it should come as no surprise when we fast forward through our history to see how focused the attack has been to diminish the power of the church, to separate God from the people, to leave them wandering truly in a desert without anybody to look to begging for meat, knowing that when they ate it, they would be poisoned and die. This is the state of the world that we are now in. And we have each choices to make. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonists and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their form, former systems of government. We are right there. We are there now with a government that has turned into absolute despotism. And the question is, what are those steps that we move to? 
the first gut reaction by many is to grab for the musket. But that's not the place to begin. It goes back to what is the first thing that we need to be doing is looking at where does our power come from? It comes from Almighty God. Father God has given us these rights of dominion over evil. And when we begin there, then we begin to move forward into what our action steps are. And that begins with defiance. Defiance does not mean that there will not be consequences in this world. But defiance is the boldness and fearlessness that is needed be each and every person, especially each and every person that walks in Christ. That's where the pulpit becomes mighty again. That's where the pew no longer becomes a sitting place to wait and die. And that means our responsibility has to begin in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our counties. All action globally begins locally. All politics ultimately becomes local. We cannot control the fools that are in D.C. We can't get to the bottom of their antics or how deceitful they are as much as we try because every time we get close, they've got three other plays in motion that's worse than we thought it was ever, that could ever could be. But at a local level, our counties are our fortress. Our sheriffs are the true authority of law enforcement in the land. They can tell the federal government to leave. They can tell the state government to stay out. And the only way that becomes powerful is when the people unite in the common cause of where we need to be. These times ahead are not going to be easy. We can fantasize in our head about some great moment when President Trump and the great military alliance sweeps in and cleans everything up for us and hands us back the keys to the kingdom and says, there you go, patriots. Thanks for holding the line. We took all care of all the problems for you. Now all you have to do is vote and move forward. And I will guarantee you, if that was the case, we'd be right back in this pit in about 10 years, if not sooner. We own this problem. And while it may not be something that each one of us has necessarily done or failed to do, it's nonetheless a problem that we, the people of the United States, own. And the deepest part of that problem is we don't have people yet strong enough in their understanding of where our strength is. It's not in politics. It's on the rock of faith. Those that are following politics and thinking that that will lead to a positive end are building their houses on sand. For those of us that are standing on that rock of faith, we're able to step back, as I've said many times now, into the position of the captain of the Lord of Hosts Army, where he proclaims that he is not part of the problem, but he is the solution, effectively and in so doing, proclaims where he stands as holy ground. This fight is going to be one that, with a greater and deeper relationship, first and foremost, and trust in where God leads us. That means each one of us has to submit more deeply to a fearless walk and to listen closely 
and be prepared for where the Holy Spirit takes us because it can be a wild ride. It also means that each one of us has a responsibility to do works in the world. Just waiting for God to pour some mana out of the sky is is a fool's errand. We are soldiers in this army. We are the inheritors of this earth. We are the stewards of what was given to us. And we've been given authority to step on snakes and scorpions and have dominion over all evil. Nowhere in there does it say, I will fix it for you. He will work with us and through us. But each one of us has that requirement to stand boldly and mightily in the face of evil. And as we lead in our communities, we lead with our neighborhoods, we lead with our our fellow neighbor. As we start establishing a pattern of how, we begin to change hearts and minds. So that gets us to the final point and just to put this in greater perspective. And this is sourdough revolution. Fundamentally, we have to be able to break bread with people to have a communication and a conversation. Spiritually, bread is holy in so many ways in that process of making bread and sharing it. But it opens the door. It sets a foothold forward. Nowhere in there is that passive. But it is a beginning. And it's a way to communicate the necessities of what we need to do to get to people's hearts and minds, to awaken them, and to open them to what we are truly facing. I think we can overall pretty much all agree that there's a lot of people out there that are not prepared for what is coming. There's a lot of people out there that are walking blindly, accepting this demonic attack as normal or as a new generation or as the advance of progressive ideal ideologies. It may be a little bit of all of that, but it's definitely got a darker and more evil hand to it. Some people are bewildered because they can't understand. We're like, where's all this Satanism coming from? We know, and we understand very well. Whether or not this is end of times, or whether this is a transition of an era, that's not for me to say. That's for God to reveal. But what I do know is none of that, none of our mission that we have changes. Whether this government is a communist hellhole or whether it's a glorified republic or whether it's a corporate tyranny, our mission doesn't change. Occupy, expand, and subdue. And no matter what we do, it all translates to the same thing that we must be fearless. We must reinforce and build the foundations with family. We can't walk this world alone. And so there's two sides to that piece. There's the family we have of birth, and there's the family that we've built here. Both are important. And we can't run from either one. We can't hide. We can't give ourselves excuses. We need to be engaged. We need to build the bridges. We need to raise each other up, and we need to build a mighty army. I don't know what other armies are out there. I know there are. I know that God doesn't play with one one card on the table. He's got multiple plays in motion. I know for each one of us, he's got 10, 15 more doing something similar that we may not see. But that doesn't diminish the immense responsibility that each one of us has in walking in Jesus. In accepting Christ, we've accepted a walk a mighty walk, 
one that we've been told that we will be persecuted for, bring it. One that we've told that will not be easy, sounds like a plan. Because at the end of the day, we're fulfilling what we've been asked to do. And the reward is greater than we can imagine. But this is a war. We're behind enemy lines. And it's about time we get ourselves in that gameplay and get others to understand what's going on. It's not going to get easier. But it can be a whole heck of a lot better if we understand and accept what our reality is. And it can even be a lot of fun as we watch the Holy Spirit work through so many veins in so many ways to lead us to victory. Let's pray. Father God, we are blessed this evening in so many ways to be here in fellowship, to be here before you humbly and by choice, and to continue this pursuit in a righteous fight against a dark and deceitful evil. Father, we've seen, we continue to see just insanity among us, a disregard for the health of people, a wanton hatred of humanity, a desire of the most horrendous, lecherous ways towards children, and a willingness to mock, maim, or destroy anything that you've created. Father, this is our watch, and we're here. Just hear our hearts. Wherever, wherever we have stumbled, forgive us, and we openly repent for those places. For a nation that will not put its eyes towards you as a collective whole, we pray for mercy. But for us that are fighting here, whether in Bard's Nation or any other group that are standing boldly in the body of Christ to fight and stand against this evil, we pray for the strengthening of the pulpit, for those that are out there struggling to speak the truth, find the courage. For those that are hesitant to embrace the demonic, the influences of the darkness, find the courage to speak it and confront it and rebuke it. For those thinking they can walk alone, be humbled and be before Father God to know that you can't. And for us standing here, wondering what direction to go, bless us with the wisdom, the compassion for one another to raise up each other and to build a mighty army that is holding only to you. Guide us, protect us, and lead us. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Patriots, there's nothing ever to be hesitant about. We should not fear. And there are fears out there. I can probably manifest 10 that will get my bone chilled. And when I do, and every time I do, I turn around and I look at square in the eyes and I ask myself, why did you shudder? And then I force myself to confront that thought once again until I submit it to the power of Jesus. Fearlessness. This is how we walk. This is how we win. Because they cannot control those who will not comply. 
And no matter what befalls any of us, as long as we are working and standing together and supporting one another, it is a force that they do not want to contend with because they know what stands behind it. It's the mightiness of Father God himself. So patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow for bended knee. Until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something I just want to breathe again Dive into the deepest end Oh, I want to feel something Let me get back in my body Close to me, look how it is.